All right, guys, we are back with our study in the book of Genesis. The last time we were here, we were dealing with Abraham and his triumphant victory of faith in chapter 22, when he offered up Isaac, his only son. The scripture called him the only begotten son. That simply means the unique son of Abraham, because we know at this particular time, Abraham had two sons, Ishmael, his firstborn son, whom he sent away with his mother, Hagar, and Isaac, his last remaining son. And Isaac was the son of promise. And so therefore, Isaac is given a name that resembles that spiritual ideal of Jesus, Jesus being the only begotten son or the uniquely begotten son of God. And so we see this same idea being expressed in the son of Abraham, Isaac, Isaac, his son of promise. But nevertheless, Abraham was willing to offer him up as a sacrifice to God as a show of his faith. Of course, God did not receive that, but God was simply testing his faith. And Abraham passed this particular test with magnificent colors. And this is the ultimate goal that we want to have expressed in our lives too. No matter what that expression of faith that God desires for us to have in him, that we, after so long a time in God's dealing with us in our lives, we want to come to a point where we can trust God with everything. And what was Abraham's expression of faith? He believed that if he sacrificed Isaac, God, because he was absolutely determined to keep his promise, the promise of a seed, promise of a great multitude of people to inhabit the promised land, God would resurrect Isaac from the dead, something that had never been seen thus far. But nevertheless, here we are now, and we move to the end of that particular chapter as we prepare to transition, and we talked about Abraham's family who were still in the land of Padan Aram, that was basically in Mesopotamia, Abraham's brother, and the family or the, should I say the increase of his brother's family, the eight sons and one daughter in particular by his youngest son, Bethuel, that daughter, Rebecca, who will be the wife of Abraham's son, Isaac. And so this becomes a sort of transition, the latter part of Genesis chapter 22. But now this also uh, bears in a way of transition, it allows us to see the mindset of Abraham because what this particular, the last portion of Genesis 22 does for us is, it allows us to see the mind of Abraham with respect to the land of his forefathers. That is the land that he came from, Mesopotamia, and the land to which he is in now, the land of Canaan, which is the land of promise, the land that God sent him to and told him to go. So this becomes a tie in two ways. It is a place from which it helps us to transition as we prepare to talk about Isaac, because that's going to be the next uh, area of concentration in the book of Genesis, the life of Isaac, the son of Abraham. So it prepares us for that in getting us ready for Isaac's wife, and it also lets us see Abraham's heart in the sense that Abraham is now um, 
the promise that God made him to be in the land of promise, he has held, he's holding on to that promise. And the land of his forefathers, he has completely relinquished any hold to that whatsoever. Now we'll see that as we start moving into chapter 23, chapter 23, and we talk about the death of Sarah. And that's where we'll see that second part of what I was talking about, Abraham's heart and how that the promise that God had made to Abraham about the land of promise, the land of Canaan, Abraham now calls this place home. And this is evidenced in the burial, in the burial. And remember, as we were just said, Abraham still has family in the land of Mesopotamia, Padan Haran, or we just sometimes call it in Haran. That's the transition. And the common thing to do is when a person dies, they will be buried in their homeland. But we'll see when Sarah dies, Sarah would not be buried in the homeland of Abraham. She would be buried in the promised land. And that lets us see again the point how Abraham has now, I don't want to say cut off ties. It sounds kind of dr dramatic or drastic, not so much as cut off ties, but the place that God has given him, promised him the promised land, Abraham has fully accepted that this is home. And that's what you'll be, you're beginning to see in chapter 23, when Abraham takes a burial plot for his wife, Sarah, in the land of promise. All right, without going any further into that, let's just get into the text. Now, as we get into it, what we're going to see is a lot of ancient bargaining. So I'm not going to get into a lot of the details and all of the bargaining, and I'll read a, a great deal of the passages without explanation because what you'll have is ancient Mideastern bargaining and the customs that were prevalent during those times and how they did it. I'll explain it as we move through the text, but for the most part, it's predominantly narrative and the highlight or the main point is what I just related to you earlier about transitioning, dealing with Isaac and the mindset of Abraham being evidenced here that this is home and no longer Padan Haram, even though Abraham is fully aware that he has a family and a home and all of these things back there, he still buries his wife in the promised land. So that's the main point. But anyway, let's just go on. Chapter 23, 1. Now Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. Sarah died in Kiriath Abba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Then Abraham rose from before his dead and spoke to the sons of Heth, saying, and let me just simply stop there before we even get into the bargaining. So what we have in verse number one and two is the death of Sarah. Now, the thing that's interesting about Sarah and lets us know that Sarah has a great position in the scripture. She is the only woman in the Bible whose age at the time of her death is recorded. No other woman in scripture has her age recorded that shows us the significance that Sarah plays among women in scripture. 
Then it also lets us know she was 127, which means that Abraham himself, remember Abraham is 10 years older than Sarah. That would make Abraham 137. And we also remember that Isaac was born when Sarah was 90 and Abraham was 100. So this would make Isaac 37 years old. So that's, that's a blessing within itself because we remember that when Isaac was born, the son of promise, and Isaac was, Sarah, was Sarah's only child, he was born to Sarah when she was an old woman. So it was a blessing for her to see him make it to 37 years of age. And for Sarah to live that long was indeed a blessing from God. So Sarah was blessed from God, not only to live, to be a ripe old age, but also to see that son, the only son she ever had, to see to reach about 37 years age. And that was a blessing within itself. And so they were in this region called Kiriath Abba. Uh, the village of four, that's what that literally means in Hebrew, the village of four, that was the earlier name for that place. But later on, it became known as Hebron. And that's why we see that is Hebron. That's why we see those particular issues uh, that are notated in the parenthesis. And this is in the land of Canaan. And that's our primary idea in the land of Canaan. And remember the things that I was just telling you guys earlier about the mindset of Abraham, the place of promise where God promised him, this is home. All right. And so Abraham mourned for her. What is also interesting to see, if we'll notice that we got to the end of chapter 22, Abraham was in Beersheba. That's the last place that we saw Abraham, but here we see Sarah in Hebron. Now they are living for some reason in two different places. The scripture doesn't tell us why, and I don't think it'll be wise to speculate, but nevertheless, Abraham had to leave Beersheba and go to Hebron when Sarah died. And so there he went through the customary procedures of mourning for his wife of many years and now the time has come for him to bury his wife. So he needs to find a burial ground or burial plot for his wife. And so this is what he does in verse number three. And he begins to speak to the sons of Heth. And these would be the father of the Hittite people. Now, the Hittites are not so much as congregating in the land at this time, but these are the ancestors of the Hittites, the sons of Heth. And so he begins to say, and now here's where we enter into the customary bargaining. And, and when I say the customary bargaining, Abraham will, he knows how the practices and customs of these ancient people are done at this time. And so he abides by this commercial custom. And notice I say commercial, that means he's trying to buy a plot of land. So there is a, a lot of a wrangling that's go, that goes on with the purchase of the land. And there's a certain way that things are done uh, amongst these people. And so Abraham observes their practices and he does it in the same manner in which 
They do things. That's why it might seem to us a little bit confusing. But nevertheless, I'll explain the customs as we move through and exactly what Abraham is doing at this particular time as what all he is doing is trying to purchase a piece of land. And so he's going to bargain for it. OK, and that's barter as we would say, but we will find out Abraham is actually not going to barter at all for the land. But nevertheless, let's just simply go into those, the particular practice as we read the text. So he's before the sons of Heth, verse number four, he says to them, I am a stranger and a sojourner among you. Give me a burial site among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The sons of Heth answered Abraham saying to him, Hear us, my Lord, you are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choices of our graves. None of us will refuse you his grave for burying your dead. So Abraham rose and bowed to the people of the land, the sons of Heth. So let me just simply stop. So he goes, he tells them that he is a stranger and a sojourner. Now notice what is interesting again. God has promised this place to Abraham. But nevertheless, at this particular time, Abraham does not really own any of the land. Now, he owns some wells that he negotiated with Abimelech. We remember that in chapter 20, that he negotiated with Abimelech in these issues. But with respect to the land itself, Abraham still, although God has promised it, and that's the thing that you have to continually remember, he still believes that God will one day give this land Remember, God said not only to Abraham's descendants, but also to him. So he is still holding to this promise by faith. That's what makes Abraham such a wonderful example for us all. But nevertheless, so he lets them know to sons of Heth, bargaining for the land, he's a sojourner. He doesn't have any land and that he requests from them a burial site for his dead. Now, clearly Abraham has something in mind, but he didn't bring it up at this time. He, this is the customary greeting as he lets them know his reasons for appearing at the gate of the city. All business transactions were done at the gate of the city in front of many witnesses. These witnesses were usually the elders and the judges of the city. And there all business transactions were done. So this is where Abraham is. He, he's at this particular place bargaining, requesting at this particular time for a burial place. They respond to Abraham and they acknowledge his greatness. And this is no doubt recognized because Abraham had, had gotten a lot of wealth. We remember in a number of occasions by, by the Pharaoh of Egypt or, or, or by even Abimelech himself, Abraham was enriched. And then even, of course, God's hand of prosperity was on Abraham. And we also remember in chapter 14, Abraham's number of servants in his house. Abraham was a mighty man. He was a great sheik among them. And so they um, referenced to that. They called him uh, Nassar Elohim Atah. A, a prince of God, you are. That's what they say to him among us. So they say, you are a great man. And therefore, according to their custom, they say, you can bury your dead in any grave among us that you wish. We won't refuse you. So now 
it was customary to offer the gravesite free. And now this is what you got to get. It seems like they're saying, don't worry about paying us. You can have it free of charge and you can bury wherever you want to bury. But that's just simply the custom. That's how the bargaining procedure was entered into. You make a request for what you want. And then according to the customs of the people of that time, they would simply offer it to you free of charge. And what you were supposed to do was to graciously respect it, to, to, to decline it. You're supposed to say, okay, I truly appreciate you offering it to me free of charge, but I won't accept it that way. Let me offer to pay you. And that's when the bargaining actually begins. And so quite naturally, usually you was, they would, they, the people to whom that you're trying to request the land, they start at a high price. You bargain for a lower price and sooner or later you settle on the price with all of the little nuances of procedures that are involved. So here's where we now get and start. So they offer him the land free of charge and the expectation is for him to deny freely being given the land, thank them for it, and then submit a price for it and tell them what he has in mind in particular. And this is where now the bargaining starts. Verse number seven. So Abraham rose and bowed to the people of the land. See, he's bowing. Thank you for your gracious offer, the sons of Heth. And he spoke with them saying, if it is your wish for me to bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and approach Ephron, the son of Zohar for me, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns, which is at the end of his field for the full price. Let him give it to me in the presence for a burial site. Now Ephron was sitting among the sons of Heth and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the sons of Heth, even of all who went in at the gate of his city saying, no, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field and I give you the cave that is in it in the presence of the sons of my people. I give it to you bury your dead. Okay. So now Abraham makes his official request for the land in particular. So he, when they offered him the land, said, you can bear wherever you want to go. He thanked them according to customs. And then he told them the particular place that he had in mind. And that was this particular cave, the cave of Mechphala. And this was owned by a particular man, verse number eight, by the name of Ephron, son of Zohar. So he makes that request for his cave in particular. And Machpelah, Machpelah simply means a double cave or twin cave. And so he, that's all Abraham wanted. And it was a cave that was situated at the end of the field. And, and notice what Abraham said, that he would pay him full price for that particular burial site. So you see how they engage in it. So notice Abraham comes to them and tells them what he wants a burial. They offer to him free of charge. Abraham re rejects the free charge and he says, no, I'll give you full price. So now the negotiation begins with Ephron and he asks him for the, the particular cave. Now what's also interesting too, all Abraham wanted was the cave. But we'll find instead that 
Ephron offers him not only the cave, but the field as well. And the reason for the field, and I don't want to get into a lot of the details in this, but it basically had to do with the ancient feudal rights of the time. In other words, there were certain rights and responsibility that a landowner had to the king or to whoever the ruler of the land was when he owned the field. If Abraham simply had the cave by itself, Abraham would have no feudal responsibilities to the king. And Ephron would be left with the responsibilities to the king, kind of considered in the sense like we have taxes today. So Ephron would be left with the taxes and any other responsibilities associated with the land to the government. And so what Ephron wanted to do was rid himself of both of them. So remember, if you want this cave at the end of the field, you're going to have to get the field as well. And so that's what Ephron begins to bargain for. Abraham simply wants the cave to bury, but Ephraim said, no, you have to get the whole thing. And that's where we start in our negotiation from the full price that Ephraim, I'm sorry, Abraham is seeking to acquire from this man. All right. So verse number 11 is where he made the request. 12. Abraham bowed before the people of the land. Notice here he bowing again. So you see, so here is negotiation. He bows, he greets them, he bows, he makes the request. They respond to the request. He bows again. You see, there's a lot of customary uh, greeting and wrangling going on. And this is how the purchase was actually done. And, Abraham, and there was nothing wrong with that. It didn't violate the command of God. So Abraham went along with it. Verse number 12, let's finish the negotiation. He spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land saying, if you will only please listen to me. Now he directs his negotiation to Ephron and notice Ephron is there at the gate during the time of the negotiation, which lets us know one or two things. Ephron is considered either a judge or he is a noted citizen of the land. He's somebody special in the land, okay? He's a man of, of some renown, all right? But nevertheless, let's continue with the reading. If you'll only please listen to me, I will give the price of the field, accept it from me, that I may bury my dead there. Then Ephron answered Abraham saying to him, my Lord, listen to me, a piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between me and you? So bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver, which he had named in the hearing of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, commercial standard. So Ephron field, I tell you what, let me stop there and talk about the negotiation. I think that's something to talk about. So now he is directly negotiating with Ephron for his field, the cave, the way he wanted to bury initially, but as well as the field. And so Ephraim responds to Abraham's request to buy it. And he simply says, take the field at no charge. This was also custom to offer the field free of charge. And so he knew that this is the part of negotiation. Abraham, according to custom as well, was to reject don't accept the field being given to him free. This is just how they did the negotiations. He wasn't going to give it to him free. He, it's, just, it's just the game that they did. 
And so Abraham was to reject this offer. And then Ephron would say, notice what he says in verse number 15, a land worth 400 pieces of shekels of silver. What is that? He said, that don't mean nothing to me. That was just simply his way of offering, of saying, okay, 400, 400 shekels of silver. Now, what you got to understand is this. This is the beginning of negotiation. He wasn't giving the land to him free. This is just the wrangling that they did as they started the negotiation. So he begins with his first offer. And naturally, the first offer, the offer of the seller, that is Ephron, is going to be the highest price. Now, he knows in his mind he won't get this price and he expects Abraham to come with a counter offer that's lower. Now, that was the expectation. And here's what you got to understand. So he went high. The 400 pieces of silver for basically these, uh, uh, for land that should have been gone for roughly about, this is 10 times the price. So this is 10 times the value of the land that he stood. So, so the price that he was offering was extremely high to Abraham. And so he naturally expected Abraham to offer a cheaper price. But look at the amazing thing that happened. When he offered Abraham the 400 shekels of silver, verse, verse number 17. So Ephraim's field, which was in Machpelah, which faced, which faced Mamre, the field and cave which was in it, and all the trees which were in the field that were within all the confines of his border were deeded over to Abraham for possession in the presence of the sons of Heth before all who went in at the gate of his city. In other words, what he was trying to say, Abraham paid that exuberant price. He didn't barter. He didn't bargain. He gave him the asking price. And that is incredible for that small piece of land. So the deal was finalized at a, at an, a greatly inflated price. And Abraham bought the burial plot for Sarah, his wife. And verse number 17 simply lets us know. And this was all, all also customary. It's kind of like a deed in saying the things that were involved in the purchase. What was involved in the purchase? The field, the cave, all the trees that were in it, everything that was in the border, and all of that was deeded over to Abraham in the presence of the judges of the cities and the elders of the cities. Abraham paid 400 shekels. He paid 10 times the value of that land for a burial plot for his wife. And now let me read the rest of it and I'll come back with some final notes on the issue. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field at Machpelah, facing Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. Notice you went right back. Note, do you see the constant repetition? Abraham buried her in the land of Canaan, in this particular cave in Machpelah, he buried Sarah. Notice as we began in chapters 20, chapter 23, the death of Sarah, the burial of Sarah. Once again, we're encapsulating that idea, the burial of Sarah in the promised land and not in her native country. 
So the field and the cave that is in it were deeded to Abraham for a burial site by the sons of Heth. So now let me bring two more points. We finally finished with the idea that it shows now the complete in it thought of abandonment of home, that is Haran, Mesopotamia. Remember the last time we left at the end of chapter 22, it talked about Abraham's brother and his family and the flourishing of his family in his homeland. And here's the idea, the tie, the transition. When a person would die, you would bury them in your homeland. But Abraham did not return to the land of his forefather to bury his wife. He buried his wife in the land of Canaan because he is saying that Canaan is now his home. That is the place that God promised him. And then finally, in verse number 20, as we talk about that deed, notice that cave that was when Abraham literally died. And I don't want to get premature about it. This was the only property that he owned in the land of Canaan. But nevertheless, what was the promise of God? Remember in Genesis chapter 15, it's a beautiful thing. When God had told him, he told he took Abraham by virtue of vision and said, walk through the land. And God showed him the extensive borders of the land of promise, the greatness of the land of Israel. And God in a flame of fire walked through a covenant pieces of animals telling Abraham, saying that, let me die if I do not keep my promise to you. I swear, and even as he said in chapter 22, I swear by my name and no other promise, no greater promise can God give than to swear by his own name. He says to you and your descendants, I will give this land. The amazing thing about this is, at the death of Abraham, he only owned this cave. That's all he had. But what this did was the cave, just like the Holy Spirit is to us. And I don't have time to get to it with that particular point. But the cave that Abraham bought, that God allowed him to have, was a down payment. It was an extension of his faith that what God had promised to me, even if he has to bring me back to life. That's why the Bible said, Abraham, by faith, he was approved unto God because he was looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. The Bible again says that God didn't give Abraham the promised land because he didn't want to give Abraham that promised land without giving us the church the promises that God has for us too, that God did not want to make him complete before he gave us our gift. But nevertheless, all of this is the down payment of a future promise that what God has said he would do, one day he will do everything that he says. And what we see at the end of this chapter is God's down, down payment saying, and what I promise to do, one day I will deliver that. All right. Thanks for joining me on that one, guys. The next time we come here, we'll continue moving in our transition 
in the life as we now stop concentrating so much on Abraham and now begin to concentrate on his son, Isaac, the son of promise. I'll catch you next time. Have you subscribed?